Welcome back to the TLC podcast with me, Natalie Byrne. And me, Venus Libido. This week we are discussing something that affects 1.5 million people with uteruses in the UK. It leaves them in excruciating pain, causes infertility and takes on average eight years to get diagnosed. It's called endometriosis. In the news this week, endometriosis sufferers have called for direct action from the government as a new report shows there's been no improvement in diagnosis in a decade. Which is disgusting. Um, Of course, it's just to hear that this week was very frustrating. Um, But, you know, as someone who suffers with it, I already knew that. But an inquiry by the APPG, which is the all-party parliament group, and Endometriosis UK um, have done an inquiry on endometriosis and laid bare the devastating impact the chronic condition can have on all aspects of someone who has a uterus's life. And its findings have been described by sufferers as confirmation that we're not alone. More than 10,000 people were surveyed as part of the inquiry this year, along with healthcare professionals, and those with the condition were asked to share their personal experiences. Its findings revealed that diagnosis times for endometriosis have not um, improved in more than a decade, and it still takes, on average, around eight years to get diagnosed. And this week, we are joined by Hannah Devan, a fellow endo-sister and endo-warrior, as we like to call ourselves. Um, Hannah has had two surgeries, like me, to try and remove her endo, and she's joining us today to tell us her story. So, hello, Hannah. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Um, Obviously, I've met you in person before. We did an amazing photo shoot, which I don't think we're allowed to talk about yet. Um, Well, hopefully it can come out later this year. Yeah, COVID depending, I guess. Yes, hopefully. Um... And yeah, thank you for coming on and sharing your story with us about endo. Um, I'm very excited to hear your story because I've not heard the full length of it and what you've gone through. So yeah, how are you feeling? So today, I must say, I'm not doing too bad. (laughs) Um, It is one of those things that is up and down, as I'm sure you know yourself. Um, It is definitely something I think I will struggle with forever. And that's something that I've had to accept. Um, It's taken time and therapy, (laughs) but I have finally kind of gotten to a place where I feel like able to focus on the positives and the improvements that I have had from my treatments rather than the things that are still going on. But yeah, it's great that we draw more attention to it for sure, because I think a lot of women are suffering in silence. I was one of them for a long time. Mm. Yeah, so I think it would be really good if we start this episode off with you basically telling us your journey from start to finish, Um, you know, from the time you found out you had endometriosis to where you are now. Of course. So going even further back than my diagnosis, I guess, my problems started pretty much around 16 when I got my period. I was like the last of my friends to get my period and I really wanted it. I felt left out and then it finally came and I was like, what hell is this? Take it back. Um, I've always had super bad periods, lots of pain, nausea, stuff like that. But I always thought that was normal. I never kind of discussed these things with my friends or my family. 
And it wasn't until I went on the contraceptive pill um, years later that I even discussed periods or anything with a doctor. Um, I then was hopeful, of course, that going on the pill would make my symptoms better because I'd heard other people going on the pill for painful periods. But unfortunately, nothing worked for me in that respect. Um, and it was kind of as time went on through university um, that things started to really ramp up where I'd literally kind of plan my periods with my pills so they would be, be on the weekends so that I wouldn't have to deal with the pain like in class and things like that in case I had to literally double over. Um, it wasn't until I moved to London to pursue modelling over here that things really took a nosedive for me that was when I started to seek out help. Um, when I went to register with my GP over here <clears throat> was when I kind of brought up my periods and I guess I was kind of just met with, yeah, that's normal, you know, certain women have pain, don't worry about it kind of thing. So I was like, okay, something I have to put up with, which I've always kind of felt. Um, and it wasn't until I met a lovely nurse who did my first smear test at 25 um, and I found it so painful, which it shouldn't be, um, it should only be mildly uncomfortable, so please do get your smears. But when I went, I nearly kicked the poor nurse <laughs> um, and she then asked me more questions like, did I find sex painful? How were my periods, my cycles? And I had an open and frank conversation with her about it, um, you know, that I did have pain and she was like, that's not normal and I'm going to write a letter to your GP and get them to check it out. Now, unfortunately, it wasn't as simple as that. Um, luckily, I wasn't somebody that had to wait the average eight years to find out that I had endo, but it did still take a couple of years. I kind of went back and forth with investigations. Um, I had ultrasounds, which always showed nothing. Um, and I was kind of then being like, given a clear bill of health and back to square one. So each time I'd present to the GP then when I had really bad pain, one of the symptoms for me that got unbearable was I had really, really bad back pain, um, which I guess people wouldn't recognize as a, as a symptom of it if they only kind of knew the basics of endo so that was something that was really really affecting my day-to-day -day life and I kind of went from having symptoms based around my period um, which is when other symptoms crop up like pain with urination bowel movements um, sex all those things kind of got worse around those times and then as time went on those symptoms spread to every day of the month um, that was when I really was at my wits end because I didn't have the relief in between. I felt like it was more manageable when I was like, okay, to brace myself for a really bad week, but then I'll have a bit of let up. Um, when it was an everyday thing, it really, really took toll on, on my life because I was basically just going to work and nothing else because you kind of have to pick where you use your energy. So. I went to work and after I'd be straight home on the couch with a hot water bottle. Um, Painkillers have never really worked for me. Um, I know that's a common thing with endo. 
it doesn't really react that well to painkillers. I've had many people over the years say, oh, why don't you just take painkillers and things like that should help. And I'm like, I wish. <laughs> um, but yeah, when I finally, finally got into a consultant that took me seriously, that was the kind of aha moment when I was like, wow, I'm actually not going mad. Because for a while there, I really started to actually think, God, maybe this is in my head because I had so many dismissive doctors. I think that's such a common experience among, you know, people dealing with kind of intimate health issues that are maybe a little bit more um, unusual or harder to put together. Um, because my symptoms affected different parts, like pain urinating and things like that, I was always sent for UTI screens or STI screens, things like that. Or if I had bowel issues, it would be, you've got IBS, you know, see a dietitian or things like this. I've also had numerous GPs just tell me I'm a hypochondriac or, you know, maybe it was a neurological pain issue. I should just go to the pain clinic to manage the pain. It was something I'd have to just accept that there was no cause for it. Um, I've been told it was my own fault for being slim um, and working as a model that I must be starving myself or over-exercising and this is what would be causing it, which I don't do either. Um, so yeah, it, it's been a very frustrating journey to diagnosis. Um, but I finally met a specialist called Peter Barton-Smith who was actually filling in for my regular consultant. Um, and he said to me that he thought I 99.9% chance had endo, um, which would need to be formally diagnosed by surgery. So that led me to my first operation. Um, I did have that on the NHS um, with my local gynecology department in Kingston Hospital. Um, it was kind of a weird time because by actually scheduling the surgery, I then had to tell people around me what was going on. And I don't know if um, Venus, you did the same, but I downplayed my symptoms to people around me for a long time. Mm -hmm, yeah. um, friends, family, you know, I just say I, I was really career focused and that's why I wasn't gonna go out late and things like that when realistically I'd be in so much pain, I, I'd be no fun and I didn't want to always be the one saying, oh, I have to leave first and yeah, things like this. So, absolutely. You know, um, even with my partner who I lived with, I downplayed things because I felt like he might be put off me, which is ridiculous. But, you know, it's hard to admit that you might have, you know, pain with intimacy and things like that. And I, you know, as a young woman, I, I thought, oh my God, what kind of partner is going to want to want to put up with this as well um so when I had to tell him actually um I'm gonna have a surgery he was kind of taken aback as was my immediate family because I don't think they realized how bad things really were um so they were kind of like is that necessary that seems a bit extreme and um, what if you have a surgery and you don't have it but I really really believe you have to trust in in yourself because you know your body the best and um yeah so I went for my first lap and I had keyhole surgery where they formally diagnosed me with 
mild endometriosis, they told me. Uh, it was affecting both my ovaries. Um, my ovary and fallopian tube refused together. Um, and I had some affecting my uterine vesicle fold. Um, I didn't know what any of that meant at the time. Um, but it was overwhelming and scary. But I felt this huge sense of relief that I actually had a name for what was going on. Um, unfortunately, in that surgery, I was just operated on by a general gynecologist who performed ablation, which is uh, a laser to just burn off um, superficially um, the lesions of endometriosis. And my symptoms were improved for only a very short period of time and then came back with a vengeance. I kind of felt this huge hope for my surgery that once I found out what was going on, I could fix everything and everyone would take me seriously then. And sadly, that wasn't the case. I had then people saying, well, you've been treated. So mm. what, what do you want us to do? I said, well, my pain is back. Like, what do I do now? And I didn't want to obviously have to have regular surgeries every year to only get a few months of relief. Um, that's when I really took self-advocacy into my own hands like I really took that seriously and decided to learn about endo and its treatments myself I think a great starting point for anybody that has the diagnosis or even considers you know that they might have it is to go on Nancy's Nook um, it's a Facebook page and it has really great resources that's where I learned a lot of factual information about the treatments that I was being offered um, I was pushed to take um injections that would suppress my hormones and put me into a false menopause um, to try different pills um, I didn't want to go down those routes um, with the side effects and everything and because they were only a temporary um, treatment and when I researched them I realized all the horrible side effects and that they'd be quite detrimental so I'm, I'm glad I I started researching because most of us would just trust your doctor and take you know what they recommend but I sought out a second opinion because I had quite a condescending surgeon um, when I went to look into having a second surgery um, I went to an endo specialist centre on the NHS um, with a big list of questions this time I was coming prepared and I just got met with Listen, hon, we just have to have a little look inside your tum, okay? And I had really good, educated, well-researched questions that I just wanted answered before I went in, you know, to be opened up again. Uh, and I just thought, do you know what? Nope. If somebody won't answer my questions or is defensive when, when I question something, that's not who I want um, treating my body. So I kept looking and I decided to go private um, I was lucky that I had health insurance. Um, I did have to fight to get them to cover my surgery, but they did in the end. And I went to uh, a specialist in excision of endometriosis called Dr. Chris Mann. He's based in Birmingham. So I traveled there with my partner and it was like a breath of fresh air. He listened to me. He was happy I knew my stuff and was like, great, I don't have to explain all that to you, you know. Um, and I just felt really in safe hands with him. He kind of agreed that I was right not to do the other treatments that had been pushed by the 
previous doctors um, and he said he actually does usually deal with a lot of people who have had kind of failed surgeries like mine where treatment hasn't provided adequate relief or has made things worse and he kind of said to me look I know you don't want to have another surgery nobody wants to have surgery but are you worse now than four months ago and I was like yes definitely and he said well chances are in another four months things might be worse again and if we can stop the kind of progression at least set it back to kind of zero you can prevent more damage being done by the disease so I said look you're right so I went for it I scheduled another surgery with him and I am so glad that I made that decision because it really has changed my life um I have had really I think my surgery was god what two and a half years ago now and I really wanted to do it because um I was engaged at the time and I just thought god you know I have this picture of my wedding day and I want to be able to dance all night with my friends and family I I don't want the worry of oh my god am I going to be bed bound with a flare the day of you know and that was my kind of driving force to do the surgery and and hope that I'd be better for my wedding. And honestly, it was the best thing I ever did because I've had such a reduction in my symptoms. Now, unfortunately, I have been diagnosed with adenomyosis as well. So I won't be pain free. Um, I will always have some issues, but my endo symptoms have been greatly reduced. And I'm so, so thankful to Mr. Mann for his ongoing care. He's just been a fantastic specialist. So what, I'm just going to jump in there. What, what was the surgery in terms of the differences that the first surgeon did to what Dr. Mann did? What were the differences to make it last and your pain to last? Yes. Away as much as it has. That's a great question. So in my first surgery, as I said, I had uh, ablation. That is just quite a superficial surgery where they burn the top of the lesion. Excision, uh, which Mr. Mann is a specialist in, is where they cut out the tissue from the root. So it is a more invasive surgery. It does have longer recovery time, um, but it's much more effective because instead of trying to just burn off the top of tissue, which is going to grow immediately back each time your hormones, you know, um hit you're removing that whole tissue and hoping that it doesn't return at all um you know there is no 100% cure but skilled excision so obviously depending on the surgeon you have there will be different skill levels but if you find a really specialized skilled surgeon they can do amazing things Mm. And it is important when you're looking for a surgeon to find somebody who can treat not just, you know, I guess when you're going to see a general gynecologist, they will be trained in the reproductive organs. And endo can affect many, many areas. So when I went the first time, they had just told me, oh, I just had mild disease on the ovaries um, and uterine vesicle fold. Now, when I went a year later, to Mr. Mann, he found widespread endometriosis, um, 
pretty much all across my pelvic cavity, all over the pelvic side walls, um, bladder, bowels. Mm. Um, now, a general gynecologist might not have been able to recognize the disease in all its forms um, and also might not have been able to treat it even if they had noticed it in my first surgery. Um, a general gynecologist wouldn't, in most cases, operate on a bladder or a bowel um, yeah. that is affected because it would be high risk. So to have somebody super trained and able to treat all areas affected means you can get proper um, mm. removal of, of what is found. And um, my surgeon, because I had bowel problems, um, chose to have a bowel specialist on call so that if it was a, a very bad case when they got in there, somebody would be able to step in with extra expertise to make sure it could be all treated there and then, um, mm. you know, to try and reduce the risk of having to have further surgeries um, down yeah. the line. So it, it is a big difference between the two surgeries. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think this is the worry that I have is my, I've had two surgeries now and the first one, they just had a look and they said yeah. that the endometriosis was too swollen. I had to go away and go through an induced menopause. Mm. The second time I went, they removed it, but I had no idea what they did. I still yeah. don't have, I still haven't had a follow up appointment. I am oblivious to what's been done inside my body. And this yes. is the problem of being on the NHS. But my main concern is I can't afford to go private. Now, unless I'm willing to put that money in, and which I don't physically have, I feel like my problem isn't going to be as well looked after as compared to someone who ha then has to go private, which is outrageous that, that that's there and that is the reality of, you know, healthcare. Absolutely, and you're definitely not alone in that situation. Yeah. You know, I we are very lucky to have the NHS here, but... Personally, it has, I feel, failed me on, on numerous yeah. occasions. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's not even the doctor's fault. They they aren't given adequate training in in women's health disorders and things like endometriosis, PCOS, these kind of things. Mm -hmm. And I've had numerous um, experiences like yourself where there is an adequate follow-up. I went with my aftercare notes of from my first surgery um, saying well I don't know what a uterine vesicle fold is like what what does that even mean that that's affected and the doctor in front of me googled it now I can do that myself at home but I you know oh, you shouldn't wow. google your own symptoms they tell you that um so it, it is really really hard to trust when you see that a doctor that you're you're kind of putting your trust in doesn't actually know and I do yeah. find a lot of the time when I go to my GPs and things like that, that I have to kind of explain to them. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not something I feel like I should have to do, but unfortunately in today's climate, it is important to take yeah. that kind of self-advocacy role if you have something like this, because the, the training isn't there. I do hope there's gonna be big changes to come, but right now the best thing you can do is put in the research um, so you can stand up for yourself because sometimes it is a fight to get the treatment you really deserve um, yeah. yeah 
Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Mm. And I feel like, you know, watching Venus go through this and just seems to be this constant thing that everyone repeats. And I've had um, issues with anxiety where I had diarrhea for a really long time and I was told that I had IBS. And, you know, everyone I know has been diagnosed with IBS and then gets turned, um, turns out years later, it's something else. Um, And this constant thing of being not taken seriously and and that kept popping up when you were talking of like this doctor made me feel you know was rude and and dismissive and um it's like and then even when you got your diagnosis it's still this ongoing journey even though you said you had a sense of relief it's still I'm glad you brought up the mental health aspect um because obviously being diagnosed with any kind of chronic condition is you know a big shock and something that can take a toll on your mental health as it is but often people that have gone through this long journey of having difficult and traumatic experiences with doctors or surgeries um it can really take a huge huge toll um i myself have had anxiety you know trying to deal with the kind of fears for future and you know whether treatments will get better whether I can trust doctors in future all of these things you know your fears of will this affect me having a family how will this you know will this get worse again is it going to come back do I have to go through that again there's so many things and layers to it and I I really think it's it's not um, taken seriously enough but it's also that mental health side of it is not tackled when I've been to doctors I, I haven't had anybody say you know do you need to talk to somebody about this to process it you know it's here's your notes see you later come Mm -hmm. back if there's another problem um i have sought out um counseling myself so i can work through those kind of fears and issues and i've really found that so beneficial for my own mind and you know to keep positive but it's it's so so difficult sometimes um especially when you're at your wit's end and you just want help. Um, I really do think people, you know, should seek out some, some help with their mental health side as well as the physical um, aspects of endo. Yeah, this is something that now being at the stage that I'm at, looking back on my life, angers me the most is that mm. there were so many things that happened to me in my life growing up that all links back to this one condition that nobody picked up on for years. From the age of like 13, I suffered with severe back pain. I've had severe mental health problems. I've had excruciating pain. Mm. Why, why did not one of these professionals put all of those things together and say, maybe she has this? Why did it take me? Why did it take me to find out and to learn about this word to then put all of my symptoms together as not a healthcare professional in any shape or form to diagnose to self-diagnose myself? Absolutely. That's that's what annoys me the most is that I'm the one that diagnosed myself, not a professional. Oh, there's a huge um, there's a huge factor of frustration and anger um, with a lot of our experiences. I know. Even with your experience, a lot of things have overlapped with mine and speaking to other girls with endo, it's scary sometimes how many people have such identical stories of, of being yeah. fobbed off um, yeah. and, and going through those frustrating emotions. 
and it's very hard because it can feel very isolating when you know you're the only one fighting for this and you feel like nobody's listening and um, mm. that's why I've I've decided to speak out across my social media I, I have a little vlog called heels and hormones now I don't have a big following like you guys um but even I'm shocked at how many dms I get from from girls saying oh wow like I've never heard anybody else speaking about this I think this is what's going on with me nobody's listening and you know by by speaking out I just hope that I can make somebody else feel like they're not going through this alone it is so hard it is so difficult but there's a lot of us it's it's yeah. one in ten well they say women but you know anybody who has uterus so that, that can be affected um well even those now without uteruses if you've had a hysterectomy um you can still have endo um, that is unfortunately not a cure um but I'm so happy as well to see even people in the public eye like I I saw this week Olivia Culpo was speaking out about having endometriosis um another influencer I follow Gabrielle Conicell she was talking about um, how it's affected her fertility and she's um, going for surgery I think the more we open up and are able to discuss these things we can fight as a community for change um mm-hmm. to have things improve to have doctors take us more seriously you know it's great to see that MPs are are taking um mm-hmm. endometriosis and you know the the rates of of how long it takes to be diagnosed seriously now but even they said they'd like to half it from eight years to four years I don't think somebody should have to wait four years no it's crazy yeah I mean the government is saying that they're hoping by 2030 that they want it to be a year or less yeah now that's if that happens that's incredible but it's also these things do take a long time I get that but 2030 is still such a long way away so many people um when I heard that I was just like great that sounds great but you know nothing's changed in the last decade from you know bringing this up um so I'm trying to stay hopeful but the way that it's already gone in the last decade and them saying nothing's improved um I'm just like is it going to will it ever that's the Mm. thing I do think um the more that platforms like yourselves Mm. speaking out about this we're able to come together and make a stand not just the people like ourselves that are affected you know my husband he he explains you know to his friends his colleagues you know that that his wife has endometriosis he he's been a huge support for me and it is kind of breaking that taboo you know it it can be sometimes uncomfortable to say you know I have endometriosis and someone says oh well, what is that and you have to kind of say, oh well and go into the explanation because some of the parts are a bit more personal than you know if you have a broken leg or you know other kind of um, more simplistic issues this is complex and it does affect us all differently and some of those things are a little bit personal and and hard to talk about but since I've spoken out honestly I've freed myself but I do think if we can all come together normalize these things what what is the problem about talking about periods you know so many people have them and will for a huge portion of their lives and if you have issues I think that should be spoken about right back in in school when you have sex ed and stuff it should be this is what will happen when you get your period but also these are the things that aren't normal and if these things happen to you you should get checked out that was never said to me 
You know, yeah. nobody in my friends or family knew what endometriosis was when it was brought up to me. Um, it's yeah. only people who who I've met after my diagnosis saying, oh, I actually have that too and stuff. But usually when I've spoken out about it first. So I think we just get need to get used to having these discussions and normalizing it so people feel more able to stand up for themselves. And yeah, I think it's like anything, the more well-known it is and more attention is brought to it, that will yeah. bring, bring about change faster. Absolutely. I'd love to ask both of you, when was the first time you even heard the word endometriosis? Um, because I think that obviously people are talking about it now and you both are talking about it so much now and I'm sure many people have heard it for the first time from both of you. Um, mm. I'd love to know where you both heard or read the word for the first time and you thought, hmm, maybe that's the thing I have. Yeah, Hannah, you go first. So I, I guess I've been having symptoms of endo since about 16 and I think the first time I would have heard the word was probably god 26 where it was properly explained to me anyways um i had a nurse come out to me after i had another ultrasound and um, when i'd presented with pain and i kept going in and because i had terrible pain in my right side they always thought maybe i was having ectopic pregnancies and things like this so i i was always sent to have um ultrasounds to rule that out and I, I was crying and, and the nurse came out and, and she was like, are you okay? And I said, well, I have to have these scans so often and they're so painful for me and they get me nowhere. I get no answers. This has been going on for a long time. Um, and just to be told I'm, I'm perfect. There's nothing on the scan. Great news, but I still feel terrible. It's just so frustrating. And she said, look, has anyone discussed endometriosis with you? And I was like, no. Um, and she kind of gave me a brief explanation of what it is and told me to talk to my doctor about it and to ask to see a, a gynae consultant. Mm. Um, but I do feel like even when I've then gone to my GP and asked, you know, you do get, well, it's bad periods. And so I couldn't connect the dots for a long time that actually it was involving the back pain, the pain with urination, the pain with bowels, the pain with sex, all these things which were split when I'd gone to, to GPs and I was sent in all these different directions for those individual things rather than kind of a holistic view um, mm. that all of these things would be connected. So yeah, once I heard endometriosis, I was kind of, I grabbed onto it and I was like, I'm going to do some Googling. <laughs> I thought, ooh, actually rings a few bells in my head um and that's when I kind of really pursued that track I guess and brought that up when I went to appointments could it be this you know um which eventually led to my diagnosis but it took a long time yeah mine's kind of similar um in a sense that it started with scans and doing my own research but mine came about the start of last year I think it was February I just randomly one evening was the most excruciating pain I've ever been in in my life in my pelvic area and I was honestly I said to my mum I have to go to A&E this is unbearable like I'd go to toilet and then I'd have the pain mm -hmm. and then I'd suddenly need the toilet again and half I just kept needing to wee and I was like mum you need to take me to A&E this is 
unbearable, I feel like I'm dying. So I went to A&E, um, then went and had several scans and I found that so uncomfortable and, you know, they were pushing and prodding on my ovaries and asking me what hurt and I was like, yeah, that hurts on that side, the side now where I know I have endometriosis and they, again, like you, kept saying the scans were fine, couldn't see anything. And I was like, well, what's wrong with me then? What, could, like, you know, pain, pain means something's wrong you know, growing up with pain and being diagnosed with other things to do with my back and my body, I knew that when there's pain, that means something's wrong and not to ignore it. Mm. And then me and Natalie went to an Eva Pill event, an Eva Pill and an amazing charity that helps all the gynecological cancers and raise awareness and raise money for them. And there was um, someone on the panel who started talking about the word endometriosis and I started to think... It was the gynae geek. The gynae geek. And um, I was like, I've not heard that word before. That's interesting. So I started listening and she started saying all of the symptoms. And I turned around to Natalie and I went, that sounds sounds similar to what I'm going through. Um, and then I was like, right, when I get home, I'm going to look at this properly. And so I got home and I looked at it and I researched it. And I was like, this is, this is it. This is what I have. And then I went to my GP a week later and said, look... I'm not leaving this room until you refer me to see a specialist because I've been coming to you for years and you've been telling me I have IBS, put me on medication, put me on different pills. I want proper answers now and I think I have endometriosis. So then I got referred to a gynecologist and I remember going in the room and him saying, having a feel and him saying, look, we don't know if you have it. The only way to find out is to have keyhole surgery do you want to have this done and I remember thinking to myself what a weird question um obviously I have the right to say yes or no but I was I found it very strange that he didn't advise it yeah Mm. because I could have walked out that room that day and said no I'm too scared to have surgery I'm just gonna leave it in my eyes he should have said look I really do think you should have surgery yeah um and there was no really like urgent care or advisory towards what could happen if I didn't have the surgery and I just remember walking out the room say crying because I just felt so neglected again even after being seen by a specialist um so yeah that was the first time I heard it absolutely and you know after being fobbed off and 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 not believed for a long time you have to have an awful lot of self-belief to say yes I am going to put myself forward for this surgery Yes. You know, it's it's not easy. Nobody wants to have a surgery. It's scary. Um, and I think it just shows what, you know, a, a really, really difficult um, illness endo is to deal with that, that we are at the point where we're like, yes, we will have surgery just so we can find out we need answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think sometimes the problem is some doctors don't want to lead you down that route because maybe they don't actually know how to treat it properly and where to go next you know to 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 have a surgery just to have a look when it can't actually be treated I feel like I really really wish more people knew early on you know that you should look for an excision surgeon and things Mm -hmm. like this to save themselves from having to have multiple surgeries to get to that stage um I know it isn't accessible to all, but even if people knew that there was BSGE centers for endometriosis in certain hospitals, um, 
and you can look this up online, even check on the Nancy's Nook website, they have a list of surgeons um, who can do skilled excision and they list who's on the NHS and who's private. You know, it is worth, even if you can travel um, to see somebody that might not be local because sometimes it is the risk of, okay, I'll just see my local surgeon, but when they go in there, like my case, they might not be skilled enough to even recognize endo in all, all its forms. Mm, and they can yeah. say, yeah, we've treated you. And actually they've left a lot of disease untreated because yeah. they weren't skilled enough to do so. Or they'll say, oh, you actually had loads of, of disease, but it's too much for us to deal with. So you'll have to have future surgeries and stuff. I wish, I wish more girls could just have somebody take control for them and say, this is what you need to do. Let's get this treated all in one. You know, if we find it when we go in for a diagnostic lap, we'll have the skill to treat it there and then so you can get some relief. This is what I would like in the future. Um, I know you've brought up the brilliant point that not everybody can afford to go to private specialists and stuff. And, you know, it's crazy to me that people have to pay this to get the proper treatment. That should be as standard. Anybody that is treating and and performing surgery on endometriosis should be trained in excision that's fine if you want to have a separate surgeon that's specialized in the bowel or the urology or whatever to be brought in if it's suspected for that person's Mm -hmm. case to work alongside but that should all be arranged so people can have their disease treated in one surgery properly Yeah. yeah absolutely yeah so there's like Um, a whole system as well from not only the mental health journey to feel isolated and be gaslit but also within the system and I think that's probably you know a great thing that MPs are talking about it so you know there's a whole system change that needs to happen with in regards to to endo I mean one of my the early times I heard of it my friend uh, Becca who was who was maybe I'll bleep out her name I'm not sure I'll ask her permission but she was told by the doctor to have a baby that was the recommendation by her doctor just like oh just have a baby there are so many (laughs) so many of these stories that I hear of doctors handing out this misinformation yeah um have a baby that will cure it that is absolutely false Um, I got told it as well but also ridiculous like oh yeah I'll just go and have a baby like Okay. It's also <laughs> very insensitive because endo can affect fertility mm. and you know it also puts this huge pressure on the woman that well you you have to use it or lose it. it mm-hmm. We should be treated to try and preserve our fertility, improve our fertility by having correct treatment earlier on to prevent damage um, you know and, and taken seriously because a lot of women unfortunately only find out they have endometriosis when they do go to have a family and maybe have troubles then mm-hmm. um it isn't a case of oh if you get pregnant that's going to get rid of all your symptoms please don't believe that um some people will feel an improvement during their pregnancy just due to hormone changes and stuff like that but it does not mean that you're you're you know it's not progressing um and you know you're you're better to get proper treatment yeah yeah should we go into other any other misconceptions if there are i'm I'm sure there's loads oh Um, gosh anything else that people should be careful (laughs) of Um, um i do think um 
hormonal treatments are sometimes pushed prematurely as a kind of band-aid solution when a doctor doesn't know how to to treat it properly um i know you said venus that you um had the false menopause um yeah can you maybe talk about what 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 drug you you were you took and your experience of it oh do you know what i can't remember the drug was but it was a monthly injection um i think yeah i I actually can't i think they come under a few different names yeah there's zoladex there's a few different um variations i had zoladex now you said it um yeah so i looking back on it now and doing my research i realized that that probably was just an excuse basically i i in my head i've kind of figured out what's happened I had a surge. The first person who did my surgery was not the person who was supposed to be doing it, was not the main surgeon. I didn't find this out until the day of my surgery. I wasn't informed about this. I just turned up and they said, oh, by the way, this person's now doing it. I was like, right, okay. This person went in, had a look, realised they probably didn't know what they were doing, didn't know how to remove it, stitched me back up and said you need to go on to a whore on to induced menopause to reduce swelling because they couldn't remove it i think now the second time i had my surgery was with the the surgeon i was supposed to have it with i think this was just an excuse to wait for him to do it basically um so i put myself through torture absolute torture for three months going through this induced menopause where I mean, I couldn't even keep my eyes open. Like, I was exhausted, I was tired, I had severe memory loss. And it was just awful. Um, and I really... I don't know, I just really... If that, if I'd been given the option, now knowing what I know now, I would not do that again. Because yeah. I don't think it was beneficial in any and shape And do you or form. think that the doctors fully explained what all the no. side effects and what you were actually embarking on when, when no. you went for it and this is another thing that really annoys me is that every the two times I've come out of surgery I've had the doctor come round to me maybe an hour half an hour after coming back around of being mm-hmm. asleep and them explaining stuff to me and I haven't got a bloody clue what they've just said because I've just woke up from surgery of course I've been there too and I'm like Wait, what did they say? I've forgotten it already because you're half you're half asleep. You're You've just come out of us anaesthetic. So I, you know, I'm just given a bit of paper and said, go to a GP, have this for three months. Mm-hmm. Great, okay, so what does this mean? No explanation, nothing. You know, they sit on the end of the bed, talk to you for five minutes and then bugger off. Yeah, I think um, what you've touched on as well with bringing up Zoladex and these hormone treatments is some doctors will tell you that it will shrink your endometriosis mm-hmm. That's now, what that I was told. is not true um why people would put you on that um I'll try and explain it um so people can understand is basically uh, endometriosis feeds off estrogen in our bodies mm. um that is what makes the endometrial tissue grow so the normal tissue within your womb it is meant to grow each month um with your hormone cycles and i'm i'm Unfortunate people like us that have uh, endometriosis tissue growing in other parts of our body that also is growing each month with our cycle of of estrogen. Um, What they're trying to do when they put you on um, this 
uh, hormone treatment is to suppress all of your hormones altogether so that the endometriosis is starved of estrogen and doesn't grow. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it certainly won't shrink because why, why would tissue start to shrink? It's already there. Um, unless you remove it, it's there to stay. Um, some people will find um, relief from this medication, don't get me wrong, but it is very varied and I really, really think people have to be aware of all of the side effects before they make that decision because you can only take it for short periods of time. I think they recommend about six months at a time um, and then you're kind of back to square one. It, it will obviously come back with your symptoms um, once the hormones start again. But what we have to know is the endometriosis tissue produces its own supply of estrogen to continue mm-hmm. growing. Yeah. So taking out the extra estrogen in your body will not stop your endometriosis from growing. Same as people that that have hysterectomies. This breaks my heart when when people have hysterectomies and are told that will cure their endometriosis. No. Yes, that will help with period pain because you won't physically have a period um, because you won't have a uterus anymore, but endometriosis is outside of your uterus. So Mm -hmm. if that tissue is left, you will continue to have endometriosis and symptoms. So, you know, um, those kind of treatments like taking hormone suppression, it is a band-aid. It will maybe give you some relief for six months. It certainly will not regress your disease and make it better. Um, It might slow down the growth to maybe a slower rate. I'm not the expert in those kind of statistics, but I really, really want people to know exactly what they're getting into because it has huge side effects. Anything from, from bone density loss to muscle aches, memory loss, different body pains, hot flashes, fatigue. Like there's a long, long list. It was pushed on me and I actually have osteopenia. So I have um, low bone density and that was never even explained as a side effect to me um, of this. So I, you know, safety wise should never go on that treatment because I already have um, issues with my with my bone density. So it would be a huge risk to to make that worse. And it was never brought up to me. They just said, Mm. take this, this will help. This will get rid of the endo. This will shrink it. That is not the case. Um, So I'm I'm glad I turned it down in my case. Um, Obviously people can take that in certain cases. My surgeon said, maybe if somebody really needs to, to get through a certain time in their life where surgery isn't accessible to them for whatever reason, they can consider that for a short period of time or whatever that they need it, it, you know, and can weigh up the risks and benefits. But as a whole, that absolutely should not be marketed as as an endometriosis treatment because it doesn't treat endometriosis. It it is a I guess a band aid. <laughs> yeah. Um, something I would quite like to ask you if you're okay talking about it, um, which is something I get asked quite a lot on social media by people who have who think they have endometriosis or have it in terms of periods what if you are on a contraception are you on um what are you doing in regards to your periods are you having them right what's going on so for me um I tried numerous types of contraceptive pill 
um, and I didn't find any relief from any of them unfortunately. Um, I do think it's a very personal thing. I know you know some of my friends rave about a certain pill and I've tried it and it was hell for me. It does had so many side effects so it definitely what works for one person won't work for another necessarily. It is trial and error. Um, the one thing I found to help um, with my periods at all was the Mirena coil. I actually had that put in during my first lap whilst I was asleep because I knew it would be painful to have inserted for me. Um, so I decided to, to change to that and give it a try whilst I was already under. Um, I did actually find that helped somewhat with my pain of cramping, but I had so many other side effects from it. Um, I had really bad hormonal acne um, and it really affected my moods. Um, and unfortunately, my moraine actually migrated. So it kind of came out of place and went too far into my, my um, uterus. So I had to get it removed, um, which wasn't the most pleasant of experiences um, considering mine had migrated. But for most people, it shouldn't do. It should be like a smear test sort of thing. That was the only thing I kind of found any relief from, but it was weighing up with the side effects again. Some people find it amazing some people don't yeah i've but. got the marina coil in now i had it fitted in the second op and so far touch wood it seems to be doing its job but yes yeah. so that's it's basically because it's progesterone only so you won't be adding any estrogen to your body and hopefully mm. kind of leveling it out somewhat with yeah. um just having progesterone i think it is such a personal thing i i think it can really help some people with the kind of symptomatic side, we have to be aware that taking hormones, it will not change um, the endometriosis itself. Mm. It will still be there. Um, but if it can manage your symptoms, I, I feel like, why not? You know, I think that is a part of managing this disease is figuring out what works for you. Yeah. A lot of people do take, um, you know, contraceptive pill, whether it's to even know when you'll have your period because you can kind of schedule it things like that i know people try cycle their pill i've tried that personally where you take three pill packets in a row so that you have essentially less periods so you'd have maybe four a year instead of 12. um for me i i actually had all my period symptoms without the period um so i had you know the mood swings the bloating the pain and everything i just didn't actually bleed um but yeah, so that didn't really work for me, but I know lots of people find that brilliant as well. It is it is trial and error, unfortunately. It's definitely not a cure-all, but it can be part of your management plan. That's how I kind of see um, hormonal birth control. Yeah. I remember talking to you now actually at the photo shoot because I, I'm on the marina coil and my skin, I've never had severe acne like I've had since having that fitted. And I remember talking to you about it and you recommended this cream that I went and got from the GP and it works. Amazingly, it's absolutely potent stuff. It's so strong. <laughs> and I remember like washing my bedding and it just stains all your bedding. Oh, so yes. I stopped, so this so is, I stopped using this it. This is a gel um, that yeah. I was prescribed by my GP called Juac. And yeah. it's got benzoyl peroxide in it. So it does stick, like it bleaches things. So like I had like, gray towels and stuff in my bathroom so now they're like orange like 
kind yeah. of bleached them orange. I don't yeah. know why. Um, but for me, that was one of the things um, that I tried to help with my hormonal acne because I I had problematic skin in my teens and I actually went on Roaccutane. Um, but then I had pretty great skin. Um, and actually being on the pill, I, I feel like certain pills helped my skin, um, mm. but not other things. Um, and then... Yeah, it was only a few years ago. Since my surgery, I think my balance of hormones was changed. Once my endo was removed, obviously my estrogen you know, supply dipped because I didn't have that extra estrogen being produced by my endo. And it set off my hormones a bit. And I came out in crazy um, jawline acne, um, really painful, like under the skin kind of cystic acne. And I work as a model, so that was quite um, detrimental. It also had a huge effect on my confidence. Um, I just kind of felt like, oh, I can't go anywhere without makeup or people will look at my skin. It really kind of, I, I was already suffering with a bit of anxiety at the time. And when my skin went bad, that kind of tipped me over. Um, and I just kind of felt it really took a knock of my confidence. And, you know, it, we can't downplay some of these smaller side effects of hormonal issues in our body it might sound like a small thing when we're putting up with you know much more kind of painful um symptoms but things like having your skin go crazy can actually sometimes be the straw that breaks the camel's back and you just think i'm already putting up with so much and now my skin's you know gone to (laughs) i won't swear but you know what i mean it's just it can be really frustrating so yeah there are things out there to help, but it can be a bit of a roller coaster when you're trying to help some symptoms and then you have to put up with side effects in some other respect. So it's it's mm. it's yes. tricky to find your management plan, but I think it's different for everybody. Yeah, it seems like so many symptoms. And um, I thought, uh, you know, some both of you have touched on quite a few of them. I thought that maybe we could just run through what, um, what they all are together. Um, I have a list here. Um, so I thought I'd just go through them and if, if I miss anything, you guys can add. Um, so we've got chronic pain, fatigue and lack of energy, depression and isolation, problems with a couple's sex life relationships, an inability to conceive, difficulty in fulfilling work and social commitments, bloating and swelling, pelvic pain, heavy and painful periods, pain when urinating, pain in the bowel or shooting pains in the anus, back pain. Um, is there anything I missed? Seems like it's it's just, I just, yeah. I'm getting so infuriating. It's, it, <laughs> it's, just, it's so... I know, there is a long list. There, There are certain things where... I guess it's different for everybody as well and what part your endo um kind of affects for me i always got really really bad pain down my legs um mm. that's something when i have my period i still get pain kind of through my hips and down into my thighs um yeah. also in my back which we both seem to have suffered with back pain quite a lot um and i think things like even like brain fog like hormonal kind of symptoms um definitely can can be all over the place like your mood everything from I've had a lot of nausea 
um, kind of gone off certain foods like if I smell a certain food it'll like make me sick like I had a lot of those kind of random hormonal symptoms when my endo was really bad um, nausea especially around my period all I could stomach was chocolate biscuits like chocolate digestives if you gave me my favorite meal on earth I couldn't even look at it um, it's so random but yeah things like that food aversions um, but different people have different pain like it is definitely a systemic condition like it's an inflammatory issue and what my doctor explained to me is that when when anything in your body is inflamed that can sometimes inflame things nearby as well so like when I get my period my bladder pain goes through the roof and it's not necessarily because endo is actively you know in my bladder or whatever but it, it can be extra inflamed because it's right beside inflammation and inflammation is obviously affecting different nerves and if it gets into kind of a, uh, a nerve pathway so yeah. a lot of people can get terrible um, I used to get sciatica down my legs and things because mm. my nerves were inflamed from my endo yeah, so same even I have like a lot of um muscle pain so even in like my upper back shoulders arms legs if I work out or anything I'm like properly in bits like 10 times worse than other people I don't know what the explanation is exactly but I've been told it's kind of an inflammatory um side effect so yeah there's everything I've heard people have kind of um more susceptible to autoimmune conditions if you have um an autoimmune condition you're a bit more likely to have something like endo as well and vice versa so a lot of people do have other conditions alongside or even things like um, intolerances or allergies to food and things like that um, can mm-hmm. be tricky yeah, yeah. I mean, you were put I, on a diet weren't you when you came out of venus you were put on a diet when you came out of well yeah I was so many things you actually. couldn't eat <laughs> well i wasn't put on a diet i did my research and put oh. myself on a diet because no one told me but i read quite in quite a few places and in a couple of books that um that they don't really have the science behind it but a lot of people have said that eating gluten and wheat can irritate and inflame it and make it worse so i just cut all of those things out and i definitely have noticed um an improvement um in terms of like swelling and bloating does help so mm, but i think that's kind of yeah i do so I've i of, have definitely read other people um promoting diet and and stuff i think it's more um an anti-inflammatory yeah um diet it can help deal with the inflammation that's caused um yeah and of course different things work for different people i know some people that swear by the diet um i think it is cutting out things like gluten dairy um refined sugars alcohol caffeine some people cut out red meat um for me i'm such a foodie that is kind of like my uh you know I really take a lot of pleasure in food and that's like my treat to myself is is desserts (laughs) so for me I was like oh my gosh should I you know try the diets but then I felt like I'm already putting up with so much could I put up with you know Mm -hmm. losing that kind of enjoyment of food and feeling restricted in another way because I feel like endo restricted my life in a lot of ways it felt like god I was frustrated I'd have to give up more um, to help it so I do think it's something we have to make as a personal decision on what works for us Um, I've tried to do a kind of a more balanced approach where 
cutting out it's just not for me I feel too restricted by it um but I've tried more to introduce things that I know are beneficial so adding in more kind of like fruits vegetables uh for me it's like things with fiber and stuff for my bowels um and then if I have chocolate or something that makes me feel good so be it yeah, <laughs> um exactly. I try not to worry biscuits. too much <laughs> yeah exactly the chocolate biscuits are uh, still in the cupboard but you know it is it is even finding things that work like I always found a lot of pain with exercise to the point where I completely gave up all exercise um because it was a case of do I go to the gym and then risk being in so much pain in work mm-hmm. the next day it wasn't worth it to me I prioritized work and my job can be quite physical where I'm on my feet for long periods of time I have to change clothes sometimes hundreds of times a day standing in heels walking things like that so that can be quite physically demanding and I just did not have the energy or you know I couldn't take the extra level of pain had I worked out the day before so it's been um, a long process to kind of figure out what um, things I can do that don't flare me up um, I've actually only in the quarantine tried out yoga and I found that really good um, I found it really helped my mind um, mm. that's why I originally did it for anxiety reasons and I actually felt it hasn't flared my endo too much now I always have to kind of balance um, sometimes certain things will hurt and I just know not to do those um, yeah. but for, for some of my friends god they're they have endo and they're super into their high intensity workouts and they find it fine and they find that that really helps them so whilst for me high intensity things that seems to set me off straight away and um, anything kind of high impact so again it is finding out what works for you the best but yes trying to incorporate yeah. some healthy ways um is only going to do you good but try not to get too bogged down if you find things unmanageable we have to be kind to ourselves as well when we're going through a lot um so kind of going towards the end of the podcast I thought it would be a really good idea to we've kind of shared some of the things that help us but what things would you kind of recommend for someone who's just starting their endo journey um and what they can do to help themselves so I've got a couple of here and then feel free to like add to the list after but um, I think it's really important to keep a diary of your pain to show GPs and professionals, um, you know, so you have a, an understanding yourself of what triggers you and just having that in Definitely. document form. Oh, can I that. interrupt and ask yeah. what both triggers you? You mentioned a high intensity exercise, but I'd love to know if you are clear on kind of things that trigger you. I think it would be so interesting to talk Mine's, about. Mine is foods definitely foods and stress yeah stress is is definitely something that sets me off funnily enough if I get another type of illness that will immediately make my endo pain worse so say I come down with the flu or a cold or something um or tonsillitis whatever it may be then I will then have increased pain with my endo as well um yeah yes definitely exercise for me was a big trigger um sex (laughs) Mm. um sometimes I would have pain for a few days after even um that um for me has been something that's actually improved a lot since surgery so that's great um but I did used to have um problems with that um what else standing 
weirdly enough for me. Uh, if I stood for long periods of time, I'd get really bad um, back pain and down into my legs. Um, I think yeah. that was yeah. from um, nerve inflammation and stuff and yeah. swelling. If I exercise or stand for too long or I'm very active, you will know it because my stomach literally just goes whoom and I just look six months pregnant. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but it is one of those things that sometimes I can do everything right, everything that I know is good for me and things like that. And I'll just wake up and it's going to be a bad day and, you know, the fatigue will hit or I'll get super swollen. Sometimes it's not always predictable with triggers or I can't figure yeah. out what has set me off. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, what, okay, moving on to, like, obviously we know what triggers us. What are three things that help you the most um, to deal with your endo pain when it's at its worst? My best friend is my hot water bottle. I am obsessed I couldn't live without it if I have a really bad flare heat is the most soothing thing for me um to the point where like I well not at the moment with covid but I travel to Paris a lot for work um and it's number one in my suitcase I always bring my hot water bottle with one I have one that's actually electric and I can plug it in so wherever I am even if I'm like on set I can plug it in and it like heats up yeah, and I can put it on good. in my lunch break, like whatever. If I'm have you know, if I'm my period and I'm working, whatever, or after work in the evenings, I love a nice yeah. bath. <laughs> um, yeah, just but heat, you have to be careful. I must say, please do be careful because if you're like me and you find heat does help, you have to be aware you can burn yourself. Um, the the point where I, why heat works is it interrupts your your pain pathways so your body can only deal with a certain amount of sensations at once um when it's processing so instead of processing all of the pain it's going oh i register heat i have to process that it's hot but sometimes for relief like i don't even feel how hot it is like my husband will reach over and be like your stomach literally feels like it's on fire like please be careful and i'll be like it doesn't even feel hot to me yeah. um and I know people have ended up burning themselves or you can get this kind of um, hot water bottle rash, which can kind of leave you with some scars. So to be careful. But yeah, that is my number one go to. Uh, I try to avoid painkillers personally. Um, mm -hmm. I have many times in the past re relied on them because I, I had no choice when my symptoms were bad to get through work. Absolutely. Sometimes I have had to take um, painkillers and stuff. But for me, the relief isn't huge and they often make me really really tired and stuff um because i have to take quite strong ones to actually get any relief you have to kind of deal with oh they're gonna make me super drowsy and like lethargic and stuff and if you take a lot they can um, hurt your stomach and stuff so you have to weigh it up so i try my best not to take them unless absolutely necessary so i'm out and about doing something and yeah. i feel like i need to then i will but they're kind yeah. of my my last my last go-to um yeah, yeah it's usually rest um maybe a light walk depending on how i feel um sometimes it is just a duvet day hot water bottle for me yeah mine's definitely a hot water bottle masturbating really helps my pain um and actually exercise for me actually doesn't make mine worse it does help so those are the three things I like do as soon as the pain gets worse is go to the gym, um, masturbate a lot 
and yeah, last night I was in a lot of pain. I just spent like two hours masturbating. <laughs> I felt great after, <laughs> mentally and physically. Um, but yeah, so I think another thing which we could end on um, is a lot of people, you know, are going to want to know where they can go for help or if there's any books or films or anything like that. So I've got a couple of things I've written down that uh, I've used over the last year that I found very useful and then if you want to add to any of that Hannah that would be great um so obviously there's endometriosis um uk.org which is a great website if you need someone to speak to or if you want more information especially what's going on in with the pms and the, and the petition at the moment um and keeping up with signing petitions as well um there's a great book by Eleanor Thorne called Private Parts um, which I've been reading, which is a great book about endometriosis and basically covers everything. It's fantastic. Um, and then there's also, which I still haven't watched because I'm still trying to figure out where I can watch this, but there is a short film called Endo, which I haven't watched yet, and I'm trying to figure out where I can watch it, but apparently it's really good. Oh, I haven't watched that either. Um, the only things I think I could add is... Um support groups and forums for anybody Mm -hmm. that maybe doesn't feel comfortable yet speaking to friends and family um you can find lots of resources online i think on the endo uk website they have a forum there um but also on facebook there's loads of them um i did that in my kind of early diagnosis um phase just to try and connect to like-minded people um sometimes i find them a little overwhelming when you kind of read all these like horror stories and all the bad Mm -hmm. stuff so you have to kind of pick and choose what works for you um i actually found in-person um support groups great i know endo uk runs some so you can sign up online and they will email you i think at the moment they're running online ones um so it would be kind of a zoom meeting situation but i thought that was great to be able to kind of open up and chat with like-minded people even on our shoot venus i found talking to the other girls Mm. almost therapeutic because we could really relate to each other and um yeah i think it is important not not to feel isolated and alone Um, and so they can be good resources too oh yeah wonderful that's so wonderful thanks so much for coming on and and sharing your story and before we end um i'd love to ask both of you if you have any words of wisdom for someone who is struggling with endo maybe early on in their journey or and um feeling isolated and alone if you have any pieces of of words of comfort um to help any listeners out there um i think for me um my biggest advice would be to talk about it i i suffered in silence for too long and honestly by actually talking to people around me it's it's opened up so much support and compassion and it's just kind of taken a bit of a weight off my shoulders because I, I felt like I was holding it all in and trying to get through everything and, and sometimes you just need to be real and let people mm-hmm. in on what's going on and I think that really helped me realise it was nothing to be ashamed of so that's definitely something I want to put out there don't feel like this is you know anything you've done don't feel like you know um, something to be ashamed of 
this is part of you everybody has their own struggles and you can get through this there is help out there i know probably hearing some of our experiences with doctors and stuff can be a bit off pushing but it is so important if you think you have endometriosis or any other kind of gynecological issue don't suffer at home by yourself reach out to a doctor for help if you don't like the response you get from them, get a second opinion, get a third opinion, get a fourth opinion until you find a doctor that you feel listens to you because that's the most important to feel listened to and somebody that you can trust and that that you won't be met with kind of a defensive nature. I think somebody that will answer your questions and be compassionate and help you to find what will work for you best um, and is open to questioning. I say always go in, like Venus said, with the diary of your symptoms. So you know maybe what time of the month um, your symptoms are, are occurring, whether it's tied in to close your period or not, and write down everything. So mm -hmm. you might not think some things are connected, but they can be. So you're better off to say absolutely everything and you know the doctor can help you find what what is and isn't connected. Um, for me, I separated everything for a long time and turns out it's all one thing causing it so yeah um, it don't don't feel ashamed even if you think oh gosh should I mention you know something uncomfortable like pain sex or things like that it is important these are your doctors you can talk openly with them and if you don't like their response you are totally within your right to see somebody else so don't give up on yourself and yeah ask for help when needed look after your mental health as well that is a huge huge one especially in the current climate covid is a really really difficult thing to put up with um and you know we can feel a bit more isolated when we can't see all our friends and family as often as we'd like to maybe you're not working as much maybe you know you can't do all the fun stuff that kind of takes your mind off of what you're going through mm. please reach out there is support out there um and yeah don't suffer by yourself yeah mine i think for me i would say and something i wish i'd known at the beginning it was to to keep researching Absolutely. keep making yourself yourself aware of what you're being told and that if it's correct and making sure it's the right journey for you the right process for you the mm -hmm. right treatment for you um just research 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 you know what every word means what every part of your body is yes so you are fully prepared to be like no that doesn't sound right for me and uh, trust yourself and trust yourself listen to your body and you you go with your gut instinct like your gut instinct is honestly the thing that you should be listening to absolutely it is so right what's in here will be right up here and vice versa like you just have to listen to yourself because mm -hmm. even though these people are professionals they don't know you and your body so exactly you know your body best yeah. so listen yeah. listen to yourself and you know if you get an answer from a doctor no no it is just ibs or whatever it is and you don't feel that that's the case Mm -hmm. stick up for yourself and say well what what else can I do to yes to look down other avenues because I yeah. don't feel personally that 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 is the case yes and exactly that's, that's just know that there's fine. options and they don't always tell you your options so yes. you should know them before you go in the room that's like that's the one thing I wish I'd known now exactly um, but yeah Hannah thank you so much for coming on I've learned a lot from you as well as I'm sure Natalie has um in terms of you know roots and options i've learned quite a lot 
talking to you today so thank you for coming on oh thank you so much and i am always happy to talk to anybody if they need it they can always drop me a dm Um, my instagram is at heels and hormones um but basically i just feel like anybody that's going through this to just try and and feel positive there are some treatments out there i know it can take a long time it's a very frustrating journey but you know you're one in ten there's there's a lot of people um going through the same thing so if we come together i think we can make some good changes and hopefully improve things for people that are going to go through this in the future absolutely yes thanks so so much much for having me on and if you ever see uh, anyone talking about endo you know people people who are listening please share it especially these two lovely definitely. ladies share and this thank so you so much this. for putting this on your podcast and um giving giving you know adding to the narrative i guess giving yeah. um people somewhere that they can listen and relate and learn is so yes, important exactly, the more we talk exactly. about it well, thank you for doing for what you're better. doing everything you're doing as well and <laughs> yeah. you know um hopefully like you said the more people kind of know about this we can push for for some changes to happen um within the system um as well exactly um, but take yes. care of yourself and hopefully we'll um keep in touch and keep safe during all this covid stuff and thank you you too um, hope you'll enjoy your yoga and um i will i'm gonna go do my yoga now (laughs) thank you for listening to tlc podcast this week and we will be back next week with a new episode so see you next week bye bye um and it's a short comedy film I'm having trouble connecting to the internet. Oh. Take a look at the help Alexa. in your Alexa app. <laughs> Alexa! <laughs> that no, is so funny. sorry. <laughs> I'll do that bit again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the TLC podcast. There'll be all the links that we've mentioned and resources we've mentioned in the description, plus more information. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends, share it on your socials. This is a complete passion project from me, myself and Venus. And we do it just because we think it's so important to have these conversations and share them in a public forum. So your support means the absolute world to us and keeps us going and keeps us doing this little side project. So thank you so much and we'll see you next week.